This morning, I want to spend a little time with you in the Word just to uh, kind of uh, stimulate your spiritual appetite a bit. So open your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 2. I want to share with you, not a long time, but I want to share with you what I believe is a very important portion of Scripture. 1 Peter chapter 2. It's one that has long been important in my own life. The first three verses of 1 Peter chapter 2 I want to read, and then we'll just talk about them for a few minutes. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word, that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. There's one phrase there that I want to focus on as the heart of this text, and that is the phrase, long for the pure milk of the word. I want to talk to you this morning a little bit about desiring the Word. Desiring the Word. Obviously, all of us are aware of the fact that the Scripture is our bread. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Scripture is the source of our spiritual nourishment. Jeremiah said, Thy words were found, and I did eat them, and thy word was the joy and rejoicing of my heart. And we're all aware of that. That's fundamental, that if we're going to feed our spiritual souls, we have to consume the Word of God. The problem doesn't come in knowing that. The problem comes in desiring that. So we have to back up uh, from just knowing that we need the Word to finding out how to cultivate in our own hearts a desire for the Word. And that's what I want to focus on a little bit this morning. So take that phrase, long for the pure milk of the Word, as kind of the the key point from which we depart. Job said, I have treasured the Word of God more than my necessary food. I don't know if you've ever experienced anything like that. To, to be hungrier for the Word of God than you are for your next meal. It's hard to imagine at your age that that's within the realm of possibility. But it must have been for Job because he considered the desire for the Word a stronger desire than his desire for food. The psalmist said in Psalm 1 that his delight was in the law of God, the law of the Lord, and in that law he meditated day and night. He had such a craving for the Word of God. Psalm 19, the psalmist again says that the word of God is more desirable to him than gold, yea, than much fine gold, and sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb. There have been then Christians, Old Testament Christians we've named, the psalmist and Job, who have had this sort of insatiable hunger for the Word of God. But there have also been others. The Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 7 that the strongest desire of his inner man was a desire for the Word of God. Maybe the best summary of it comes in Psalm 119. Let me just read you a few verses here. Psalm 119 the longest chapter in the Bible, verse 16 says, I shall delight in thy statutes. Verse 24 says, Thy testimonies are my delight. Verse 35 says, I delight in thy commandments. Verse 47 says, I delight in thy commandments which I love. Verse 48 says, I shall lift up my hands to thy commandments which I love. I will meditate on thy statutes. Verse 72 says, The law of thy mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Verse 92 says, If thy law had not been my delight, then I would have perished in my affliction. 
Verse 97, oh, how I love thy law. Verse 111, they are the joy of my heart, even your commandments. Verse 113, I love thy law. Verse 127, I love thy commandments above gold, yes, above fine gold. Verse 159, consider how I love thy precepts. Verse 167, I love them exceedingly. And verse 174, I long for thy salvation, O Lord, and thy law is my delight. Now there is the cry of the psalmist's heart throughout all 176 verses of the psalm, and that is that his great love is the Word of God. His great delight is the Word of God. Now that's not always true in our lives, and that is why Peter here in 1 Peter 2 commands us to long for the pure milk of the Word. Now I want to talk about that phrase for a moment. The term long for means to crave in the Greek. It means to have an intense desire for. It is used also in the Septuagint, the Greek Old Testament in Psalm 42.1, where it says, As the deer pants after the water brook, so pants my soul after thee, O God. So it's a strong craving. In fact, it's a passion. It's an insatiable desire. We are to have that for what? For the pure milk, the word pure, uncontaminated, unadulterated, in the midst of a world of polluted stuff, by the way, which we very often desire, we are to have a desire for the unpolluted. That word, by the way, is usually used in Hebrew with farm products like oil and grain and wine and corn, and here it's used with milk, uncontaminated, pure milk. What's he talking about? Well, he says it. Long for the pure, uncontaminated milk of the Word. I want to talk about that phrase just enough to give you an insight into it. That little phrase, of the Word, is really one word in the Greek, lagakon. Lagakon. It doesn't actually mean of the Word. It is translated, the only other time it's used in the Bible, in Romans 12.1, spiritual. Remember where it says, present your bodies a living sacrifice, which is your spiritual service or your reasonable service. That's the same word as used here. So it probably would be better to translate this, you are to long for the uncontaminated spiritual milk. But we all know where that's contained, right? In the Word. But the term, basically, the term lagakon, has to do with the inner part of man. It has to do with the spiritual dimension as opposed to the physical. It has to do with the reason rather than the passion or the feeling or the emotion. That's why it's sometimes translated your reasonable service. But the best translation is the word spiritual. You are to long for the pure spiritual milk. And obviously that is found in the word and that's why the translators felt the liberty to put that in the translation, at least here in the New American Standard. Maybe some of the others have different translations. So you are to have a strong, compelling, insatiable craving for the uncontaminated, pure milk of the Word, which is your spiritual supply. Summing it up, Peter says, desire the Word, which is your spiritual food. Now he could have said, read the Word. He could have said, study the Word. The Bible says both of those things. He could have said, meditate on the Word. He could have said, teach the Word. He could have said, preach the Word. He could have said, search the Word. He could have said, wield the Word like a sword. He could have said, hide the Word in your heart. But before you do any of those things, you have to desire the Word. You have to have what Paul in 2 Thessalonians 
I think it's chapter 2, verse 10 said, is the love of the truth. The love of the truth. Now, I know enough about you and enough about me to know that you're probably saying to yourself, I don't, I don't have the kind of compelling desire I ought to have. Peter assumes that. The Holy Spirit assumes that. That's why the command is here. But it's not in isolation. Surrounding this simple direct command here are the things that motivate that desire. So I want to give you a little handful of principles, all right? How to cultivate a desire for the Word. How to cultivate a desire for the Word. Assuming that we don't have the kind of desire we ought to have, we have to stimulate it. We have to cultivate it. And I want to give you some principles that will do that kind of cultivation in your life, that will generate that kind of desire. Number one, number one, remember, remember your life source. Remember your life source. This is the first cultivating impetus to desiring the word. Where is it found? In the first word of verse one. What's the first word? What is it? Therefore. Therefore. Just take that word, therefore. Now, what's the therefore, therefore? Well, we know to take us back. Let's go back to verse 22 of chapter 1. He talks about obedience to the truth. That is, obeying the gospel of Jesus Christ. He talks about the fact that in obeying the gospel, you have purified your souls. That's talking about salvation. In verse 23, he talks about being born again. So here is a context of salvation. He has been saying you obeyed the truth, your souls were purified, you now enjoy the love of the brethren, you have been born again. But by what? Verse 23, you have been born again, not of some seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and abiding, what? Word of God. Word of God. Verse 25, he ends it, and this is the word which was preached to you. When the word was preached to you, the word came as seed, and it transformed your life. Therefore, verse 1, therefore long for the pure milk of the word. That is the main verb in the section, and that's what the therefore moves toward. So the point is simply this. Since the Word of God saved you, therefore you are to long for it. Say, well, I'm not sure how that connects. Simply this. You have already experienced the tremendous power of the Word of God, right? It transformed you. It totally revolutionized you. It passed you out of darkness into light, out of death into life. It transferred you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God's dear Son. The Word of God was so powerful, it came into your life and overturned your sinful nature and planted within you a new nature. It gave you a love for Christ. It gave you a hatred of sin. It gave you a desire to obey. It moved you from hell to heaven, from sin to righteousness. The powerful Word of God already transformed your life at the point of your salvation. Therefore, long for it again. Why? Because you've already experienced its tremendous power. Have you forgotten how powerful it is? Have you forgotten that the Word of God, according to Psalm 19.7, is able to totally transform the whole person? And if you're a Christian, you've already experienced that. 
If you desire a powerful life, if you desire to see the moving of the hand of God in your life, do you need to be convinced again that it's through the Word of God? You shouldn't because it was the Word of God that redeemed you in the first place. And since the Word transformed you, since the Word was your life source, since the Word was the power of your new existence in Christ, since the Word accomplished all of that, that's why it's called the Word of Life and the Living Word, since it has those life-giving, powerful properties, therefore, you ought to desire that same Word because of its powerful potential in your own life. Remember your life source, Peter says. Remember the tremendous power the Word already exhibited in your life. And on that basis, you ought to desire that continued expression of power as you expose yourself to that same Word. Second, there's a second compelling, motivating impetus to desiring the Word. That is to eliminate your sin. Eliminate your sin. Let me give you a simple, simple, simple principle. If you have no desire for the Word of God, it is because you have sin in your life. True? Basic. Basic. So, verse 1 again of chapter 2, putting aside all malice and all guile and all hypocrisy and envy and all slander, long for the pure milk of the Word. All of these are modifying phrases that are related to that main, main command of longing for the Word. If you're going to long for the Word, you've got to get rid of the things that hinder that longing. And if your heart is filled with malice, that's the Greek word kakia, which means evil, just general evil. If your heart is filled with sin and evil and wickedness, if your heart is filled with guile, that's deceit, Dishonesty, deception, falsehood. It's the original word for a fish hook, which is the, which is a very deceitful thing. Obviously. The fish thinks it's getting a meal, it becomes a meal. That's deception. Then he says, get rid of hypocrisy, phoniness for personal gain. Get rid of envy. That's wanting what others have, resenting others' possessions and position. Grudges, hatred, conflict comes out of that. Putting aside all slander, that's an interesting onomatopoeic word. You that have had that term in English know what it means. It means a word that sounds like its meaning. And the Greek word is katalalia, and it means talking about people behind their back. Gossip, malicious gossip. So he just picks out five sins, sort of in general. He, he says you've got to get rid of evil, which leads to deceit, which leads to hypocrisy, which leads to envy, which leads to slander. And you've got to get rid of that because that will hinder your desire for the word. So he says, put it aside. It's an interesting Greek verb. It means to strip off filthy clothes. As if you're, you're wearing a dirty, filthy garment. Strip it off. Throw it away. If I am to, to have a strong desire for the Word, I have to go back and remember its power already exhibited at my salvation, and I have to get rid of the sin that clings to my life if I want that desire. If I don't get rid of that sin, then my desire is going to be toward the sin that I'm cultivating and harboring in my life, and I can't have a mutual desire for what is wicked and what is holy, what is unrighteous and what is righteous. So this is a call, really, to confession of sin and repentance. There's a third principle, if you're going to desire the Word, and that is to admit your need of it. To admit your need of it. And in verse 2, he says that, like newborn babes, 
long for the pure milk of the word. One thing about a baby that is obvious to everybody is they are eager to admit their need for milk. Have you experienced that? They're not hesitant. In fact, they scream and yell and kick and cry if they don't get their milk. And if they don't get their milk on time, they're not at all hesitant. Everybody knows they need it, they want it, they desire it. And that's really the idea here. He he is saying, like a baby longs for milk, so you should long for milk. A baby doesn't hesitate to cry out. In fact, simply put, that's the only need the baby ever expresses. They don't care what color clothes you put on them. You care. They don't. They don't care how you decorate the room. You care. They don't. And they don't want variety of food. They just want milk. By the way, the term newborn and baby is is really redundant to emphasize that this is a brand new, just born baby. And it has no desire except for milk. It's instantaneous. The moment that baby is delivered out of the womb of that mother, it is then put on the mother's breast to be fed and knows immediately what to do and why it's there. It is a built-in instinctive craving, a God-given instinct that results in the nourishment of that child. It not only has a positive effect in terms of nourishment, but it has a negative effect in terms of defense because there are antibodies built into the mother's milk that protect that little new life from disease. And so Peter is saying in the same way that a baby singularly and passionately and strongly and without being ashamed of it cries out for milk, so should you cry out for spiritual food in the Word because you need it just like that baby needs that milk. Nothing will satisfy a baby but milk. You can't give it potato chips, snicker bars, popcorn, pizza, you name it. It wants milk and only milk and only milk will satisfy. And so it is with us as Christians. Somewhere down the line, there has to be an admission of need. Now, there are people who read the Bible because it's traditional. Their parents read it. Their youth director reads it. Their best friend reads it. So they read it as a sort of a spiritual tradition. There are some people who read the Bible superstitiously. They think it's a religious charm. And if you read it every day, some little magic spiritual thing will happen in your life. There are some people who read the Bible educationally. Uh, they read it because they're in school and they're assigned to read it and they've got to read some verses to go along with a Bible class. They read it because they want to know some facts about doctrine. There are some people who read the Bible denominationally. They're simply looking for ways to defend their viewpoint. There are some people who read the Bible professionally. They're preparing a lesson. They're preparing a paper that they have to give somewhere. They're preparing a message, a sermon. There are some people who read the Bible intellectually. They're inquisitive. They're curious. It's a matter of intellectual pride to throw biblical data around. But the right way to read the Bible is like a newborn baby who is crying for its tremendous spiritual nourishment on the positive side and its tremendous spiritual defense mechanisms on the negative side because it's the word that strengthens us for living the Christian life and gives us the insight to defend ourselves against error. You have to admit your need. If you're living, if any Christian is living in some kind of smug indifference, assuming that everything is as it ought to be in his life or her life, the need isn't going to be there. That's an illusion, obviously, that Satan would like you to believe. We need the Word as desperately as a newborn baby needs milk. 
If then I am to desire the Word, I need to remember its power already exhibited in my salvation. I need to eliminate the sin in my life, and I need to admit my desperate need for spiritual nourishment. And if I don't, like a baby, if a baby doesn't get that nourishment, it'll wither away and disease and even death. Number four, principle. This too motivates to long for the pure milk of the Word. That is, pursue your growth. Remember your life source, eliminate your sin, admit your need. Fourthly, pursue your growth. Pursue your growth. In verse 2 he says, Long for the pure milk of the Word in order that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. God desires that you grow. That's the main issue of spiritual life. Growing, growing, growing. And Paul says in Ephesians 4 that we are to come to the fullness of the stature of Christ. We're to be more and more conformed to being like Jesus Christ. We can't stay where we are. Be no more children, Paul says in Ephesians 4. Stop being little children. Grow up. Grow up. Paul said to the Ephesians, I pray for you constantly that you would be strengthened in the inner man by the Spirit, that you would know the fullness of God. I want you mature. I want you full-grown. I don't want you tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine. I want you strong. It's not enough to be a spiritual babe. You need to become a spiritual young man, First John says. You need to become a spiritual father who knows him who is from the beginning. You need to grow up. Spiritual infancy is a time of increased temptation. Spiritual infancy is a time of great vulnerability to sin. Spiritual infancy is a time of ignorance where you're unable to defend yourself against error. You need to grow. And so, says Peter, the desire for the Word springs from a desire to grow, from the sense that I want to become a stronger believer. I can just tell you, young people, as you grow in Christ, it's very, very encouraging to see the decreasing frequency of sin in your life. Not its absence, but the decreasing frequency of sin. It's encouraging to see you gain strength and victory continually over some of the sins that once knocked you off your props regularly. Spiritual growth is a wonderful thing. But the best part of it is the growing intimacy that you have with the Lord Himself. And then a fifth principle. And I'm just kind of laying these at your feet for you to think about. The fifth principle is to survey your blessings. Survey your blessings. Verse 3 says it. And it should read since rather than if. It's a first class conditional in the Greek. Long for the pure milk of the Word since you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. What's he saying? He's saying, don't you think you owe him something? Don't you think the kindness of the Lord should elicit out of you some response? Don't you think that's enough for you to long for his word? He's been so good to you. His mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. He does not withhold any good thing from you. Whatever you ask in his will, he gives it. He has blessed you with all spiritual blessings in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. He has granted to you all things in Christ, through whom you can do all things. He has poured out upon you unmeasurable blessing, both now and forever. And since you have tasted the kindness of the Lord, doesn't it seem that it would be a proper response to give back to Him a desire for His Word? Pretty basic. It is essential, young people, in your Christian life that you have a desire for the Word. It doesn't appear in a vacuum. 
It comes because you consciously remember your life source and the power the Word had to transform you. It comes because you eliminate your sin, because you admit your desperate need, because you also pursue your growth, and because you survey your blessings and you say, how can I be so ungrateful to God who has given me so much as to ignore the command to desire His Word? Especially when I realize that in it are the blessings that God pours out to the faithful student. I don't know how close you are to being able to say with Job, I have treasured your word more than my necessary food. I don't know how close you are to saying with the psalmist, my delight is in your law and in it I meditate day and night. I don't know how close you are to saying with Jeremiah, thy words were found and I did eat them and they were the joy and rejoicing of my heart. I don't know if you can say with the Apostle Paul, I delight in the law of God in the inner man. I don't know how close you are to saying with the psalmist, Oh, how I love your law. It is more precious to me than fine gold. But that's what Peter commands of us, to have that kind of desire for the Word. You can go through a school like this and go through four years of it and expose yourself to the teaching that is here. And if you go out and don't have a hunger for the Word of God and an insatiable craving for the Word of God, you may have passed your course, but you failed First Peter chapter 2. And that's basic. So let me encourage you in your personal prayer life and your personal devotions to pray regularly that God would cultivate in your heart a desire for His Word. Because when you become a biblical Christian, you become powerful and you become the recipient of God's Great blessing. Let's stand for a closing prayer. Father, we thank you again for the reminder that learning your word is not an academic exercise. It is a desperate, driving, compelling, intense, passionate craving. And I just pray, Lord, that you'll produce that in our hearts that we might love your word above all else, and so doing, grow in it to become the powerful Christians that you would want us to be, and to know as well the profound and immeasurable blessing that comes to one who lives out this book. May it become the very fabric of our lives. We'll thank you for such a treasure. In Christ's name, amen.